Brown says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome to everyone listening as always. My name is John, also known as 4020. I'm your host of the tip sheet. Coming at you with another instant reaction with the Parramatta Eels notching up a solid win over the Gold Coast Titans. Joining me to impart his knowledge and wisdom of the game and the review, as always, is my good mate and companion, 60s. 60s champ, always a pleasure. And, um, you know, it wasn't it was a game of two halves, I suppose, but it's always nice to get a solid win when you've got a couple of uh, frontline superstars being rested on the sidelines. Mate, I'm always a happy bloke whenever there's a Parramatta win. And uh, look, just hope everyone out there is doing okay in these times of lockdowns mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, you're looking after yourselves, looking after the people that are close to you and doing the right thing. So, uh, mate, yeah, as I said, anytime there's a Parramatta win, I'm a happy bloke. So uh, what better time to record a podcast than after a win? And a bit of a poignant uh, note you raised there away from the footy, and it's something the NRL actually touched on in their uh partnership with Fox Sports today was the uh, offload and um, the offload initiative and reaching out to a mate in these times because you know sometimes that makes a huge difference when you just get in contact so yeah in terms of the lockdown and in terms of everyone being you know, quarantined and sort of frozen out of their everyday lives if you are feeling the pinch don't be afraid to start a conversation on TCT and just say hello but yeah let's uh let's talk footy mate Parramatta Eagles 26 defeating the Gold Coast Titans 8 uh, all eight of those points for the Titans coming in the second half the Eels very much the uh, better team on the day. But in saying that, it was a game of two halves of Parramatta. First half, almost perfect. I think that the only knock I would have put on that opening 40 minutes was just a little bit of a lack of polish on some of the attacking kicks, which is to be expected when Mitchell Moses is out. And you also have Jake Arthur uh, getting taken out of the game for a concussion check uh, within the first 10 minutes. But the Eels uh, played almost flawless football in that period, uh, up until I think there was a Wunga Blake offload to Gufferson and then a Gufferson uh, drop in a kick return. So they were very, very good in that regard. And then the second half started strongly with a couple of really good attacking raids, but couldn't quite uh, put the uh, icing on those uh, movements with a couple of tries going begging. In particular, that uh, one line break by Quinton Gufferson where he had options everywhere and, and went for the uh, big loopy pass to Marcus Evo. It just drizzled and dribbled to touch, sorry. Yeah, as, you, as we were talking before, just before we started recording, he had a, a plethora of options and probably took the only wrong one. Exactly, exactly. But it is to be remembered that this is a game where the Eels are missing uh, two of their most important players, obviously Mitchell Moses, the number seven, the team general, and, and you know the not the captain in terms of you know rank, for, uh, that's Quentin Gufferson, but the guy that's marshalling the team around the puck, and Junior Polo, who was one of the most devastating front rollers in the competition. And it was good to see Eels lift uh, around the park in the absence of those two players. I think um, Ryan Madison got a lot of, a lot of uh, plaudits from the commentators in the game. He had, obviously had a very, very good outing. But Murata Niakori had a strong opening stint. Oregon Kafusi was great off the bench. And um, before I go through the individual player numbers, we'll just run through the, the team numbers, I suppose, as we all want to do. Uh, in the 26 points the Eels scored, Dylan Brown opened that scoring with a scintillating try from about 40 metres out. It was good to see Dylan put the uh, pedal to the metal there. Followed by Sean Lane, Reed Marnie, Hayes Dunster and Ryan Madison. Eels finished their scoring in the 49th minute, which is what we are talking about before when we said they left some meat in the bones 
in this contest. Gufferson had a great first kick and then went a little bit wayward from there. He was three from five in the end, but a couple of those kicks that he missed were absolutely uh, doozies, I suppose. And for the Titans, uh, Brian Kelly scoring in his 100th game and Dave Hafita scoring a late try with uh, Kevin Proctor spending some time in the Symbian for a dangerous throw or dangerous tackle on Zaya Papali'i. Eels dominating possession, 54 to 46%. A lot of that coming in the first half with the Titans normalizing that to some degree in the second stanza. Time of possession is reflected in that regard with the Eels about four and a half minutes ahead of the Titans, 30 minutes 45 to the Titans, 26-11. Eels completing at, at a rate of 80%, very solid, 32 from 40. Titans down at 71% in their 30, uh, 38 sets with 27 completed. Eels ahead in all key attacking categories, which you love to see. More runs, more run meters, more post-contact meters. Nine line breaks to four. 36 tackle breaks to 22. Uh, an average set distance of about eight meters more per set. 47.8 to 39.8, which is exactly eight meters, by the way. Um, and more kick return meters. Uh, the Eels with the faster play the ball speed this week. Very, very rare. 3.64 seconds to 3.76. And then it continues through the other <coughs> attacking categories. Offloads, obviously, the Eels were very effective tonight on that uh, first game at 6 p.m. And then going right down to kick defusals, where the Eels were a little bit uh, not as clean as usual, 58%, uh, but defensively better than the Titans and uh, much more tidier than the Titans in terms of ruck infringements and penalties. So a, a pretty neat all-round performance for that first, I'd say, 40 or 50 minutes. Unraveled a little bit at the end. But what stood out to you, mate? Because like we said, no Mitchell Moses, no Junior Paulo. Reed Money, huge inclusion for the team, obviously, and we saw that. The direction he gave to the team around the ruck, the the sort of just the nous, the the subtlety to his game where he, he teases the markers into going one way and then can go the other way. Um, his ability to back up, we saw as well when he scored that try, where I think Quentin Gufferson probably could have scored himself to be honest, but um, he he wanted to give his uh, adoptive son a little reward for getting back into the lineup. It felt like. Yeah, look, I think that Reed Marnie was very much a well, I I, I would say the most significant inclusion in the team this week because mm -hmm. he was uh, the way that the Eels structured their game tonight where it was really Reed playing that prime distribution role to the forwards as they rolled downfield and the ascendancy that they got through the middle and I put a lot of that down obviously the, the forwards themselves doing a brilliant job but also Reed Marnie with the the way that he marshaled the attack around the ruck. I thought it was really, really good. And uh, just wanted to shout out to myself here, mate, because in the uh, preview, yours truly tipped Reed Marnie to score a try at any time any in a Parramatta win at the odds of $5.15. So uh, I must say I'm a bit chuffed with that prediction prior to the game. And, and just before you mentioned about Gutho's missing kicks, uh, what I will say is I think there'll be no doubt that Mitch Moses will be offering him some coaching. <laughs> well, given, given that Mitch was running the sidelines there for the NRL alongside Junior, I reckon he was probably chirping at him after each conversion. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised <laughs> if, he, if, he, if he gave him a little quip or two uh, after the misses. So especially that one that was just at the that awful, awful... Um, uh, kick that skewed out oh, to the right goodness. of the post. Yeah, I think uh, Hamish had a great comment to uh, to me when we were chatting online, and he said uh, Dylan had a uh, oh, sorry uh, too much fade for Dylan, but too little for no the other way. Sorry, uh, 
but yeah, the, the Dylan's haircut obviously coming into play there, the the bad fade in his haircut, and then Guffo having a even more fade on his kick there. So yeah, that was probably the. Um, would you call Would you call that haircut? A fade or a complete collapse? <laughs> well, it's 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 definitely uh, entering its own territory there. And I saw the paramaterials online um, with the cheeky little quip about the aerodynamics that it helped him with on that try. <laughs> and uh, speak, let's talk about that try for a second because Ryan Madison, obviously the initial architect there for a nice little offload to deal, and Maddo had a great game. Um, a little bit unfortunate for Maddo, too little, too late in terms of origin selection, but I dare say the concussion had more to do with um, that than anything else. But love to see Matt having a big game. But, geez, it was good to see Dylan put on the afterburners and just remind everyone of how quick he is. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen him put on plays like that coming up through the pathways with his footy. And we know that amount of speed that he's got, I think, maybe. And and really, when supporters are thinking about what he's dished up in first grade since he's first come into the NRL, they, they would... If they think back, there'd be instances where they could think back to where he has put on similar sorts of plays. If people might recall the try that he put on against St George, where mm, he yeah. got out and clear ran around Corey Norman, yeah. a similar sort of uh, a try that was scored in that instance. And so it's, it's worth mentioning that on those NRL speed trackers they have um, via the, the team GPS units, that Dylan has consistently clocked in at some of the fastest rates among NRL players this year, and usually that's in cover defence when he's gunning someone down from the other side of the field. But it was um, very pleasing to see him do it with the ball in hand, um, and, and burning AJ Brimson is no mean feat. Uh, he, you know, uh, Brimson known for his electric pace himself, and uh, Dylan left him clutching at dirt. So a very nice way to start the game. Um, and looking across that team sheet, mate, um, I like the contributions from the backs in general. Um, a lot of them over 100 metres, all except Tom Opachik, in fact. Uh, Marcus Eva, 154 uh, Wonga Blake, 151. Dunster, 129. Gufferson, 178. So they're all getting heavily involved. And Opajic himself actually had an okay game with a nice little chip kick that could have... Uh, uh, sorry, did that one did force line drop out. There was another one where he nearly scored, but it unfortunately went back to a 20-minute restart on the review of a little fingertip uh, leading to a knock-on. And that, But that sort of consistent performance translated across to the forward pack. Uh, I thought Reagan Campbell-Gillard was outstanding. He played the first 30 or so minutes. And I'm um, really tore into the Titans in that period. We already gave Madison some plaudits. Probably a quieter game from Zai Papali'i, who came off in the first half in a very rare break. He doesn't usually get that sort of time off, but um, still a solid game from him, 129 metres. And how many tackle busts today? Uh, just just two tackle busts. So a very uh, uh, human effort there from Papali'i compared to his standards. But Brownie, 174, 170 metres, sorry. Uh, Murata was solid prop at 94 metres. Good game from Sean Lane. Uh, excellent game from Oregon Kafusi off the bench, except for that one error on halfway. The poor man was denied a try by inches twice in this game. Some desperate cover defense from the Titans, just keeping him off the uh, try scorer sheet. And then we obviously how, had, we had... How many meters there for Oregon? Uh, NRL.com's got him down for 119 off 12 carries, so a very efficient uh, rate of about 10 meters a carry, um, and a handful of tackle busts too. But I think the Fox Sports... Uh, Fox Sports had him at 140 or 150 metres. So once the, um, the statistical reviews uh, shake down and they get through the second and third cycles of that on the tape, be interesting to see where he falls out. But I thought Augie was very good off the bench. And, yeah, the, the biggest issue for the team in the second half was, A, the Titans got a little bit lucky. There was um, some genuine luck in terms of the 
the ball bouncing their way, and you know just some fluky stuff uh, coming off. And and B, uh, it was the it was a period of the game where both Junior Paul and Mitchell Moses really put their stamp on a contest. Uh, Junior and his ability to tighten up the middle and get away a timely offload to really you know arrest momentum back towards Parramatta and Mitchell for his clinical ability to put teams to the sword with his kicking game and you know just constantly keeping the team dialed in. Yeah, you'd have to say that uh, we obviously didn't complete as well in that second half as we did in the first half. And then as also the kicking game wasn't as clinical as you referenced Mitch Moses can be. So uh, it was a, an average sort of second half, although one of the more average takes that just came through on uh, social media, someone replying to one of my posts, uh, get ready for this take. Uh Eels score three tries while Titans are down to 12 players, therefore really eight all. <laughs> okay, that, that's, that is definitely how football works, by the way. Um, that, is, that is up there with the Mary McGregor quote about we shouldn't count tries off kicks. So, um, Yeah, it's like um, I, I was going to say um, no tries uh, after 10 minutes, so really uh, take out the next 70 minutes and it's yeah. nil all. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to start adding stupid qualifiers to the games to manipulate the numbers to the way you want them to, you can do any number of things. So, yeah, <laughs> the, the fact <laughs> is that the, the Titans did something stupid and they'll uh, punish for it accordingly, which was actually in line with the original mandate of the crackdown. So I was actually surprised to see it go through to a symbian. Not that it wasn't unfair. Uh, I thought that it was the correct decision in lieu of, or in light of what they've been telling the public what they want to be cracking down on. So that was fine. And then, yeah, the Eels put the sword to the Titans in that period, which is what you want to see. When you get that one-man advantage, you need to press the advantage. You can't just sit on your laurels, turn over the ball, and let them off the hook. And yep. Talk to me about uh, the pickup by Hayes Dunster. I, I was going to right. get to that because Matto, with, uh, Matto, Guffo, sorry, I'm not sure if that was a, a slight shank because he, he did the stab kick. And like they're the ones that are meant to, uh, go, you know, fly across flat like that. But geez, Hayes on the fly, half volley. Uh, it wasn't quite as good as the Cronulla Sharks one from going back a few years now, because uh, that one was a like a flat on, across field kick that was miscued toward the sideline, and they picked that one up on the legitimate half volley. But it's up there in, in terms of recent pickups uh, or you know flashy pickups like that. It's got to be up there. And then I tell you what, the dive to finish it off was a specky as well. Would have had the, yeah. uh, the nines and the nine point fives from the gymnastics judges out there. I think he's managed to get himself on the season highlight yeah. reel that, with that, that one. That'll feature a couple on a couple of different reels, I reckon. And and more than that, though, I, I really liked what Hayes did with the ball in hand. That was the most confident he was uh, attacking the defensive line as a ruckman. Um, he was really tearing in, which you love to see. Um, good under the high ball, was confident linking up uh, linking up with Gufferson across field, which opened up a few opportunities for the Eels to attack down that left edge. Uh, against a, a staggered kick chase from the Titans. So I don't know if that was a, a heads-up call or something that the Eels had spotted in their video work that the Titans can be exploited in that regard. So good to see that both Hayes executing and the Eels being adventurous in their uh, counter-attacking play there. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> Got a bubble in my throat there. But yeah, um, you know, we, we spoke about last uh, podcast about uh, the fact that Ferguson could be for the Eels if he can get back right uh, for the blown goal. But... It's good to see Hayes making a difficult decision. Um, you really want him to be, you know, making that as hard as possible. Well, I think you really have the instance there where 
both Oregon and Hayes made statements with their games tonight. Oregon, who, I mean, we think that he's locked in around the middle, but when you've got that battle for positions in the pack and real questions about how BA might structure the bench going forward, mm-hmm. Oregon, Oregon in tonight's performance basically said, well, look, if you were tempted to leave me out of the 17, this is the type of impact that you'd be missing out on. I, I thought he brought he brought real impact off yeah. the bench and uh, maintained the the aggression that had been shown by uh, Murata and Reg at the start of the game. And the thing about Oregon is, and the numbers don't always say it, uh, like we said, when you do the box score scouting, it doesn't always tell the full story of the game. But uh, he's so light on his feet for, uh, I say a big man, he's obviously not you know, frequently huge, but he's a, a good-sized unit. Um, he's very light in his feet, and he always feels like he's threatening to break a tackle or, or poke his nose through the line. So I feel like he's just starting to tap into what he can be as a ball runner and, and, and being an aggressive wrecking ball, and really liking to see that. And um, on the bench as well, really good to see Sean Lane bouncing back. Um, obviously, he had a, a rather dire night out against Penrith, scored a nice try, and he scored another um, wrapped up over Lionel just before the line and just ran the ball strongly again. So that's the sort of effort we need to see from Sean. Um, and we have seen it for good stretches of 2021. It's just when those little lapses creep in that they can be so frustrating. But very much a good bounce-back game from him. Um, Nathan Brown, outstanding at lock forward. Um, had a nice little uh, passage of play in the Reed Marnie try where he was backing up through the middle. Always good to see your lock forward uh, in the thick of things. And it feels like there's a lot of those performances across the park. That individually, there was a lot of good stuff in the Parramatta Reels. Just in the second half, uh, when it got to a little bit of a grind, that's when you see the true value of a halfback like Mitchell Moses and a prop forward like Junior Poor. Yeah. I think what this week actually showed with the... Uh, and it was surprisingly, I thought it was picked up quite well with the commentators this week. I'm, sometimes I wonder what game the commentators are watching, but it was said tonight that Parramatta do a very good job of evening out the workload across the uh, park with their players. And I thought tonight, it w- that was a great example of the number of players that ran over 100 metres. And also, it was one of those games where, with Mitch Moses missing, that we saw, as I mentioned earlier, Reed Marnie really stepping up and providing a lot of the direction from dummy half. Now, that might seem like a Captain Obvious statement uh, in terms of the direction from dummy half, but you've got when you've got a dominant half like Mitch Moses and he's calling the plays and what side of the ruck he really wants that ball to go, I thought Reed Marnie was making a lot of those decisions uh, himself tonight rather than relying on the call from the halves. And that probably made the halves less dominant in the game, both Arthur and Dylan Brown, and that's not a knock on their performances. I think it's a, a I think it's indicative of the amount of work Reed Marnie did, and also to an extent, Clint Gutherson. Yeah, obviously Gutherson is a huge factor in our attack, and that's why he's up there with Trisis in terms of all playmakers, not just fullbacks. We do structure our attack in such a way that he has the ability to inject himself frequently. Um, in terms of our halves, I feel like probably Jake played a little bit within himself tonight. And that's probably reflective of the fact that he wasn't actually going to play up until yesterday. Uh, and late yesterday, by by the way, it sounds. 
that um, Moses was meant to be going and then they decided late to um, pull the plug and just give him a chance to uh, recoup, which is fine. Oh, no, I think I think BA came clean with that one. He said that it was always going to be resting Moses and uh, Junior Paulo, uh, that they had trained oh, with that know. lineup all week and that was the intent, was to was to uh, play as they trained. Well, in which, so. in which case, Jake just ended up playing for himself, um, didn't take on the line as much as I would have liked, and then there was one moment where he kicked a little bit early on the goal line in the second half, and it didn't seem like he communicated it properly to his outside backs, or outside men, rather, it's not rugby union. So, you know, and that that's, you know, not a, a huge issue. He's a young halfback that, you know, is going to have those sort of ups and downs, but it wasn't a, a shocking game for him. Um, no, no, fact, I thought it was... I thought it was one of those games where he just did he, a job. Yeah, he he had a role to play. He, he uh, completed that role. He he was. I thought he was warming into the game. Um, and apart from that uh, errant kick, when I say errant kick, I mean that kick where no one was aware that it was on. I thought it was uh, that it was quite a solid performance from. Uh, Jake. One, uh, one thing worth mentioning too is that he got knocked out of his rhythm early on where he got taken off for a concussion check and I don't think he was concussed. He just got he got speed bumped uh, early, very early in the contest and, but I'm pretty certain it was just like he's got bumped on the shoulder and got knocked over. Um, but, yeah. the, but because of the, the precautions they take these days he got taken off for HIA and he was absolutely miffed when he got to the sidelines. <laughs> so um, that definitely would have uh, taken him out of gear a little bit but he got back into the contest and uh, certainly, you know, it wasn't awful by any means. So with uh, Reed Money and Quentin Gufferson having relatively strong games, especially in Reed's case, um, you don't need too many cooks in the kitchen too. So happy for him to take a back seat if there are other dominant playmakers kicking it, which in this case with Reed, especially there was. But yeah, it was a weird game when you look back at in the context of the two team seasons because the Titans, known as a tremendous first half team, the Eels known as the best second half team in the competition, and they sort of reversed roles today, didn't they? Eels got out to a red-hot start. Titans clawed their way back into the contest in the second 40 minutes. Uh, but the the golf between the two teams, and I know the Titans sort of had a running battle for a few injuries in this contest, but they were very much beaten when they were still at full strength. It, it shows you what what you know the, the gap is between the, the top four or five teams in this competition and all the teams that are sort of chasing those last two spots. Just across the park, the Eels were more enthusiastic. They ran harder. They tackled harder. Um, and I think it was it was a Zai Papali that produced one of the better hits you'll see this year off a line dropout where he absolutely flattened Sam Lasorne. Uh, I'm not sure if it was him or, or Oggy, maybe. So, I think, well, both of them went into the tackle, didn't they? Yeah, I, that, I credited uh, Ice with it, but maybe it was Oggy. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, look, I, I think it was one of those games where we had, well, before the game, we had the commentators ready to flip their tips. A few of them were... I, I saw um, Alexander the, really, the, really flipping his tip. And uh, was it Brave as well? Uh, they, the bunch of, uh, not, not fence-sitters, but flip-floppers, I suppose. Uh, yeah, no Moses, no Junior. I'm, I'm going to back the Titans here. It's like, have you seen, yeah. these, have you seen these two teams? Yeah. Yeah, so it was one where they were prepared to completely ignore form on the board because that's basically what that was about, that suddenly, because the Titans were able to name what was on paper 
probably their strongest lineup of the season. They expected that they would immediately bounce back into form, whereas there'd been barely a trace of form, especially when it comes to defensive commitment uh, from them up to now. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll acknowledge that they showed some defensive fortitude in that second half because the, the Eels uh, did ask lots of questions for a period there and the, the Titans earned the right to get that ball back downfield and score on the back of that strong defensive effort. Yeah, there was a however, deal. however, like the as you said, the the flipping on the on the basis of a couple of players out when, you know, have you it, it what you said then almost reminded me of what Chekins said in that that disputed call for the, the uh, the the play the ball. The, the said, did you just, really the didn't ball, you yeah. just see what we all saw? <laughs> yeah. Let me let me go see if I can scrounge it up. I think someone had the uh, clip somewhere, and I'll, I'll put it on because that we we don't usually give the refs a huge amount of love here, and in general, they don't get uh, many W's when it comes to rugby league. But this one here, and I've got the the sound clip queued up here. This is a massive win for the referees, and this is going to be this is an all time quip, I think. So well done to Chechen because this was quality. Here, here we go. Let's go. go, fellas. Got a scrum. Kevin, did you see what we just all saw then? Come on. Wow. Be fair, Dinka, mate. <laughs> Putting Kevin Proctor back in his. Oh. oh, so obviously uh, Tino went for the big milk with 30 seconds left on the clock in the first half, and uh, he got hit by a sniper, and the crowd's falling over him to play the ball. Uh, and then the Titans blew an ill-advised challenge because even if they won the challenge, at best they're going to be getting two points and they'll be going into halftime 20-2. to two. So, I don't know. That, that... Yeah, look, I've, I've always had um, a, a high opinion of checking as a referee and uh, I actually was able to have a few words to him up at uh, the, the shops not far from my place last year where I was... Uh, I was looking across at the uh, uh, in the uh, in the shops, and I thought, "Geez, that looks like Matt checking over there." And I thought, "I'm sure he doesn't live anywhere out out this way." And then uh, went over, and sure enough, it was him. So, uh, whenever you whenever I get an opportunity to talk to a ref, I will actually go and say good day and just get a try and get a bit of a gauge as to what they're like outside of football, just as, as characters. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I must admit, as I said, I had a high opinion of him beforehand, and that was probably enhanced with, uh, I thought, uh, he was a pretty down-to-earth, uh, uh, knock-around sort of bloke when you got a chance, when I had a chance to chat to him just in that in that circumstance. So that- I probably had a chat to him for about five, ten minutes there. So, um, yeah, good bloke, and, uh, yeah, great a great response to the player that, in that circumstance. That particular moment is going to be immortalised, I feel like. And if a show like the Sunday Roast was still running, it would be featured in the opening credits every time, I reckon. So, well done. Because that was a great way to handle a, a very mundane like complaint from Kevin Brockner. Like, are you serious? Like, look at the video. We all saw that. He felt like he milked it. So, well now, done. Now, I, I have to ask you, mate. Did you, did you have any unease when the the teams were announced I, I was getting a few text messages from mates uh saying to me oh i'm not too confident now mate oh, i'm you know a bit no. worried and 
Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how one, we're going to go. And, I had this one penciled in as a win, even with the news. I, I did not feel any trepidation or concern. No, no, I, look, I, I, I didn't either, and it was, um, it was one of those scenarios where I thought, look, other teams have rested players out of, after Origin, and we need to be able to do that too. And I'm pretty confident with the the way that we play. And I must say that a big part of that confidence as well was the return of Reed Marnie because I just thought he's going to provide uh, a little bit, a little, and this isn't a knock on, on Joey Lussick because I thought Joey did a really great job filling in for Reed when he wasn't there. And, you know, there were aspects of our performances, especially in defence that we didn't skip a beat. Uh, but it's, it's not an knock. Re- it's not an knock on Joey Lussick, but it is the difference between having an excellent backup hooker and a state of origin caliber hooker. So the, yes. the backup can do very good work and and plug a hole really nicely and and hold the gap, you know, for a week or two. But you got a state of origin player in Reed Money. You know, you got a guy who is up there if the the top two or three players in his position. Of course, he's going to be a massive plus to the team when he's in. And so, and it's nice to see Reed getting the love from the commentators that he deserves now. I think it's really starting to uh, become a, a mainstream thing in terms of his position in the the game overall as an elite dummy half. And we, yep. saw, we saw tonight that the commentators were absolutely, uh, you know, lavishing praise on him. Um, even Big Blocker was getting in on it, the prop forward. Uh, and even though Mick Ennis uh, shits me the tears with his uh, colour commentary when Parramatta games are on, um, as an analyst, he, he absolutely loves Reed Money too. And you can see why, because it probably reminds him a lot of himself uh, you know, an absolute terrier, a bulldog. We saw another uh, charge down and recovery from Reed tonight. You know, just an absolute effort play. And, you know, you add that to the craftiness that he has, to the, the defensive engine that he has with the work rate he gets through and in terms of tackles and his efficiency there. And now you just add in the... It's not... I mean, veteran savvy probably makes it sound like he's getting a little bit grizzled and, and grey in the, in the hair, but he's got that maturity to his game, I suppose, now where he's, he's been around the block a couple of times now. He's gone for a few seasons, and he's added that extra level of craftiness that the great dummy halves have. Yeah, yeah. And you'd also have to say that last week there was a lot of commentary about how much Penrith were missing Nathan Cleary mm-hmm. and that the fact that the Eels lost to a, what they called an understrength but Penrith side. And, 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 was, and in the same breath, they'll praise Appy Coruscant for winning the game for Penrith. Yeah, yeah. And I, I looked at that and I thought, well, our defence, sorry, our attack was definitely not as sharp because no. we were missing Reed Marnie. So, and tonight, people would have seen how he was able to bring our forwards into the game get so that... We, I'm trying to I'm trying to express the there's a, a view out there about Parramatta not putting teams to the sword or not playing a certain type of football. Parramatta plays a type of football that is suited to the the players that we have out there, and we have one of the strongest packs of forwards going around in the competition. The sort of pack that can lay the groundwork that we saw that they they laid tonight that that. The ground that was made through the middle tonight basically set up the win. Oh, 100 percent. And you know, it's worth mentioning Eels of over a thousand running meters at half time, finished the game with nineteen hundred and thirteen meters, 
to the Titans 1,512. So comprehensively outrunning them on the ground to the tune of 401 metres. So, you, you know, you talk about average sets. That That is five of the Gold Coast sets. They average 39.8 sets th- that game. So the the Eels, sorry, five, uh, eight of those sets when I say, no, 10. There you go, I got there eventually. We had 400, meter, 400 metres plus in, in running differential and the Titans averaging 40 metres a set. We, we had, you know, we, we ostensibly ran for 10 more sets in them, even though we had less that less than that in terms of the difference in set possession. It was just two. That's how effective our running game was. Yeah, so, yeah. And like you said, you, you you talk about horses for courses in terms of team selection. It's the same thing for coaching. You've got to coach to your team strengths and not coach to what you want the team to be sometimes. And the Eels have obviously assembled a great forward pack, and they're, they're playing to that strength. And Well, and, and that's... and. Look, that is such a, an important point because people are saying, oh, well, you know, you need to be more like Penrith or more like Melbourne. But Melbourne are Melbourne and Men- Penrith are Penrith because of the players that they've got in their team. And it's a it's different skill sets, different players, different style of football that's played. It, it is worth also discussing the fact that we are playing a very Melbourne brand of football. It's just that in 2021, things have gotten so warped because of the gap between the good teams and the, and the bad teams is that... Melbourne are now playing a far more expansive brand of football than they usually would. So, yeah. like the the way we play right now is, you know, very reminiscent of a of a classical Melbourne strategy. You have got a strong forward pack, controlling halves that you know play good heads up football when attacking when the opportunity presents itself. And it's just that in twenty twenty one and and obviously twenty twenty two, where uh, the we saw the uh, the hiatus lead to some weird blowouts when the, the competition came back is that, you know, the, the points per game for some of these teams now, and, and the Eels are scoring 28 points per game. Bear in mind. It's not like we're not scoring points. It's just that Melbourne and, and Penrith, well, we've actually we've scored as many tries as Penrith, by the way. It's just that Melbourne have uh, are an outlier at the moment because of the way things are playing out. So, Well, anyone that's going to be critical of a team who averages... 28 points per game, which is what Parramatta averages, 28 points per game. If you're going to be critical of that, I don't know that you understand rugby league. I really don't think you understand rugby league. And Parramatta, uh, anyway, was the, at this point, was the third highest for points four, I believe, at this stage of the competition? Uh, yes, we are 474. So we're technically second, but uh, it's provisional because we're only five points ahead of Penrith and they've got the game in hand, obviously. Uh, but uh, we've scored... Oh, they'll be beaten to zero, we, so... We've scored as many tries as Penrith. It's just that Penrith obviously uh, added a few more conversions and a lot more penalty goals to make... Who are the Panthers playing this weekend? The Penrith Panthers are playing... The New Zealand Warriors. So, oh, no, they're not going to get on the board this week. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors will have will probably, <laughs> probably play a, a solid contest against, and the Warriors haven't been blown out many times this season. But yeah, it'd be a big surprise if they did get the big uh, upset there. But uh, speaking of the latter, the Eels do jump back up into third place provisionally, pending the result of the Rabbitohs versus the uh, Bulldogs on Sunday. Um, which you'd say on, on paper is a pretty easy win for the Bunnies, but the Bulldogs showed plenty of ticker against the Roosters last week and were pretty unlucky not to get the result there. So maybe they could get a, an upset there, which would obviously help us tremendously. But, you know, as we, we've been saying all, all season, mate, you take care of business now and the results will sort of sort themselves out on the ladder because with the Eels placing uh, facing that top six gauntlet, 
they, you know, every win is sort of like a, a win and a half in that run, isn't it? When you take on the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, the Seagulls, and the Storm and the Panthers, um, each one of those wins creates a an extra bit of buffer in the top four because um, of the nature of the contest because you're, you're both fighting for the same spots in the ladder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there is a little bit of an argument as to whether you're going to be better off to be finishing uh, third or fourth or fifth I've, and sixth. I've, I've, seen, but I've, I've, seen, I've seen that back. argument. You finish as high as you can. That, yeah. The, the tactical loss to finish uh, uh, third instead of seconds or whatever or to finish... Uh, well, the way it's structured now is 1v4, 2v3. So uh, you're finishing two, I don't know, to, I'm not really sure how that you'd want to, because the idea is you dodge going to Melbourne, which may or may not be a, a, a what's it called, dead in the water anyway, the way the competition's going off the uh, COVID relocation. But uh, we, we've shown that we can take on Melbourne. Uh, we beat them this year, and in the, the last two times we met them in the finals, we gave them their hardest games of their premiership runs. So we, yeah. we, we are literally inches, minutes, seconds away from being able to beat Melbourne in a, in a final. I, I don't care if you, if you have to take them on a week one of the finals. You take them on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a loser mentality to try and dodge Melbourne. You're gonna to have to, you're gonna to have to, like to, to win the premiership, you're going to have to go through Melbourne at some point. That is almost a foregone conclusion in the NRL. So why not beat them in round one of the finals? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah, we've, we've uh, gone off the track a little bit. How do, would you hand out your points this week in the game, mate? Okay, well, I think Ryan Madison is my three. Yeah, I'm with you right there. Yeah, I think Reed Marnie's my two. Mm-hmm. And I, I was getting to the difficult point when it came to the one. I think I'm probably still going to go with Gutho, even though he had a couple of moments where I thought it was a, a little bit... Um, uh, the wrong, well, obviously, that pass that we spoke about a little bit earlier wasn't too fussed with that, um, and a couple of other errors. However, Gutho just brings so much to the team. So yeah, I, I'm giving him my one, and and in doing so, I'm still thinking uh, there's you know one of the other one of the other forwards could probably get this just as easy, mm-hmm. and Nathan Brown, for example. That, that so, was where I was going to go for my one point. So I'm with you for the three and the two. I think that they're pretty. Clear-cut choices. Um, I thought that Reed Money and his return was outstanding. Um, you can see the difference he makes to the team just for his ability to mix uh, clinical service to both sides of the ruck with the ability to uh, dictate the flow of the game through the middle. So you love seeing that. And obviously, uh, at man of the match, uh, I, I was... Sorry. Man of the match. I was right with you there for Ryan Madison. I think that was a huge game from the big man. Um, a lot of strong carries, some great offloads, uh, and a really nice try saver on Tino Farsalamuli in the first half too, by the way, that led to that uh, sniper in the crowd incident. And yeah, for the one point, Nathan Brown, I'm, I'm a sucker for the big man, or the big man in the middle, and I thought Brownie was a really good link man, provided a lot of great backup play and support play, and also just tore into the Titans, uh, just non-stop, 22 carries, 170 metres, one line break, one line break assist, a stack of tackles, um, you know, just quintessential Nathan Brown right there. And, and it's uh, really good that he's really starting the fire for the Paramount Reels. And then once we get Junior back and have that, uh, you know, the holy trinity of middle forwards there, it's going to be fantastic. And um, that speaking of Junior, that leads me to our last sort of point of order for our reaction podcast. Uh, New South Wales Blues narrowly falling to the Queensland Maroons and thus missing out on a rare 
series clean sweep, but the Eels had two players in there, Mitchell Moses and Junior Paulo. What did you make of the uh, the two Eels on a night where uh, there was a bit of? I mean, Mitch was always going to cop criticism if we didn't have a great win. That that was he was going to be the easy scapegoat there, and I think that uh, Brad Fittler was very quick to uh, put the kibosh on some of that, uh, some of those uh, critics out there. Sorry. Um, he said that Mitch, you know, played a good game. I thought Mitch played a pretty solid game. Um, he really came to his own sort of in the 50th minute when Appy Corusel came on. Um, I don't think he was gelling very nicely with Cook. I felt like I felt like Cook and Whiten were sort of overcalling a little bit. And in Whiten's case, it felt like he was. Uh, this is probably me projecting my opinion a little bit too far, but it felt like he was desperately trying to prove to Fitler that he deserved to be picked for next year after having a really ordinary series and and even worse than that, really ordinary club form for the entire season. He was trying to remind Freddie of how good he can be, and, we, and he scored a try. But it also felt like he stilted the attack a lot. Yeah, I I have to say that looking at that, first of all, my impression of Mitch Moses, I thought it was a, a fairly solid performance at state of origin level. He warmed nicely into the game, and in the in the back half of the game, I thought he was he was going as as strong as any of the halves have during origin. Uh, in terms of his performance compared to his overall performance, well, he came up with two try assists, and mm-hmm. on, and I know that there's a bloke who is regarded as the premier half in the game, and and we'll say rightly so, but he had a lot of trouble, and has continued to have a lot of trouble producing try assists at Origin. I mean, level. Nathan Cleary, project, yeah. was was projecting to be another Mitchell Pierce for his first two Origin series. For New South Wales, it, the the step up to Origin is extremely difficult, and that's why a lot of halfbacks can't make it. Um, and to clear his credit, he really you know pulled himself together and, and had a great season this year uh, in Origin, and obviously the, the regular season too. But yeah, I, I was pretty happy with what Mitch did, considering that it felt like he was getting overcalled. Um, he he got caught out a little bit early on with the speed of the defense. They came up and jammed him and knocked the yeah. ball out of his hands. Yeah, hundred percent. From, yeah. from there, he, he adapted. Um, I would have liked to have seen him attack a little bit more off the ball in hand, uh, getting back in behind the rock and using his speed. But once again, it's kind of it's easy for us to say that without knowing what the, if he's been told to to adhere to a strict game plan. So exactly, yep. So yep. I'm very you know very pleased for the most part from uh, for the young guy there, um, and it would have been awesome for him to help the guide the Blues to that series clean sweep, but uh, it wasn't to be. For Junior, I thought it was really strong. Uh, he he really led the way in the initial clashes. A lot of strong carries, some good offloads, uh, and he was a little bit lucky to dodge a suspension. But geez, he's probably due for an order of Australia after getting uh, a little bit of uh, righteous justice on the uh, the fuck that is Felice Cafusi. Eh? A bit of a uh, uh, what goes around comes around after what he did to Madison earlier in the year. Yeah, I thought the junior in that, especially in that last fifteen minutes of the game, I thought he went to another level at Origin. I thought that that was actually his best origin performance that I've seen from him. And uh, and just with regard, you you mentioned Whiten. My impression of, of Whiten was that he overplayed his running game and there were a number of times where he should have been uh, getting that ball out to his left because there were opportunities that were created and uh, I know he had success with one of his darts that he took himself where he scored a try, but I thought there were other times where the try was on if he had to pass the ball out, Dead. but instead he went, he, he went for that play on his own. Yeah, Latrell and, and of course, the, thing, the other thing, 
Yeah, the other thing too about Origin is they, and like any game of football, it's one in specific moments during the game. And unfortunately, Tommy Turbo forgot that Kalen Ponga goes for the intercept nine times out of ten. I, I, I he confronted <laughs> with a, a breakaway, um, uh, with a, with a player breaking into open field with players in support. Nine times out of that, ten, that Caitlin is that is goes knocked down or intercept. Obviously, the namesake of the podcast, but that is, that is my tip sheet against the Newcastle Knights. Every time you play him, Kalen Ponga will go for the diving bat down intercept attempt on a line break without fail. If you just yeah. tell me when you come to him, you will score untouched. And he, yeah. he's produced some spectacular try saves because of it. But it, it amazes me that teams have not figured this out yet because it, it, he does it so often. Uh, it, yeah. And so uh, Tommy obviously leaving it would, would have been probably the game-winning try at that point uh, on the field because he didn't read the tip sheet or the Blues didn't have the tip sheet right. Um, and, you know, credit to Callum Pong because if it, if it works, you keep doing it. But, geez, yeah. you, you'd think this far into his career now, teams would have figured it out. You're just dummy when you get to him on the line break. Well, you can see the look on Turbo's face when he's thrown the pass. He's realised that that Pong has gone for the intercept slash knockdown, and he's striding untouched yep. into open territory. Yep. So, um, but look, that's that's football. As I said, it's that's football, um, baby. It, it's a, a game that's won in moments, and uh, unfortunately for New South Wales, Queensland got those moments during the game. So I did get a chuckle yeah, that, out of the uh, the post-game commentary acting like it was a, a brave and heroic win for the Queenslanders when reality New South Wales just sort of lost that game. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Origin clean sweeps, obviously hard to come by. And as dominant as the Blues were, even with their injuries, it was always going to be a tough task to win three games in Queensland. Um, it would have been an incredible piece of history, though, to to not notch up on a, like, an incredibly rare series sweep with all three games being in the opposing team state. But alas, it wasn't to be. But yeah, great experience for Mitchell Moses, and I dare say he'll be better for it. And like you said, for Junior, uh, he sort of blossomed into his strongest origin performance yet, and he'll be obviously assuming that he's fit in 2022 uh, for the games. He'll be a, a near certain lock for that starting role or, or first uh, first man off the bench. And I'd like to think that what we're, what we're seeing at the moment from the Eels is a number of players starting to produce their best football in the in this back end of the of the competition so i think we've seen we're seeing Ryan Madison literally growing another leg in this back mm-hmm. half of the season uh looks like Reed Marnie's ready to come back after his forced break from the uh, injury with all guns blazing i i Thought I saw something from Junior that we hadn't seen in the last few weeks for the Eels. That that extra that extra spark, that drive to carry the ball hard at the line. I I, I wouldn't say that Junior's hasn't been playing as well, but I just thought I saw a little bit more from him. I, I, uh, from I, think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It, it, you know, and obviously we've spoken about it at length that the season is a marathon and not a race which means at times not just the team but players have to pace themselves uh, across a given contest but uh, Junior had sort of just gently plateaued for a, a little bit and yes that's that's probably the best way to, to to describe it a little bit of a little bit of a plateau and then I'd also suggest that uh, Dylan Brown's starting to <laughs> really? come into a, a little bit more 
of his best football right now. So, and and Nathan Brown too. I have to have to give him uh, a special plug as well. Uh, so I don't know we've got we've got blokes that are finding some of their best form as we're coming into the back end of the season. So that augurs well and. Uh, of course, we've still got a bit of a ways to go before we hit finals football. It's fair to say that the Eels have locked up a place in the finals, but now it's a matter of making sure that we secure that top four spot. So, yeah. And I, I don't know what the future augurs for international football, for, you know, the ongoing COVID struggles in Australia, but uh, if New Zealand does have a team formed this year for an international, it would be nice to see a few Eels featuring there alongside, along the likes of Dylan Brown, Rada Niakore, Isaiah Papali'i, which, as you know, we speak about Origin helping our boys grow from the Blues and, and eventually read money for the Queenslanders. Um, you'd like to think that those three could also take their game to another level for a bit of uh, rep footy under their belts. So Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, uh, Kiwis, there's, uh, for, for those who uh, might have checked it out, or those, sorry, for those that haven't checked it out, we've got the uh, New South Wales Cup Review at this stage where we don't know whether we're going to be able to get back to to play. And sixties does a great job breaking down uh, an outstanding uh, well two thirds of a season, but it could be the end, eventual full season for what the Eels have done this year to finish uh, the season as it stands in outright second, despite fielding an incredibly young roster that has had a little bit of uh, roster uh, instability because of promotions to first grade and whatnot. So. Well done to 60s, well done to Ryan Carr and all the boys in the Cup. And um, make sure to get his little breakdown on the beast that is Makahesi Makatoa down there. Yeah, that's uh, wanted to mention as a, as a, uh, as a, a Kiwi that seems to be maturing towards an NRL, a potential NRL debut late in his career. He's 28 years of age. But uh, you can catch his outstanding stats and also the stats of other Eels New South Wales Cup players in that review. So if you haven't checked it out, please do. Yeah, Will Penasini also featuring prominently in some of the big attacking numbers there. So got uh, young and old tearing it up in the Cup for the Eels at the moment, mate. Yep, yeah, and that's uh, that's probably a good point at the moment to uh, wrap things up for yes, this pod, mate. Well, uh, we'll tie it up right there with the Eels securing that 26-8 to victory over the Titans back in the third place for the time being pending that result of the uh, Rabbitohs versus the Bulldogs. But, you know, Eels just taking care of the business they need to, securing another win. And, you know, if they keep getting those wins, someone else will trip up somewhere. But even so, uh, a top four finish is, you know, uh, very much still uh, in line for the Blue and Gold, which is what the the plan would have been from the get-go and still is. So very, very good stuff there, mate. And we'll be back on Wednesday or thereabouts. Uh, for the preview of the round nineteen, round nineteen action. Yeah, there we go. And where the eels Thursday missed. night, mate. Thursday yeah, night. that's right. We got. What were we originally scheduled to be for that? Because uh, that that. Roster, I think it was a Thursday night game, but so, it was going to be at Bank West. Yeah, correct. It would have been a home game. So yeah, the eels obviously having a little bit of a luck this week in that the game wasn't actually a reschedule for them. They were just literally taking on the Titans on the Gold Coast. Uh, so that was nice. But losing a Bank West home game obviously hurts. But uh, up against Ricky's Raiders on Thursday night. You'd like to think they can uh, complete the sweep over the Canberra team, but you have to wait and see. And, yeah, we'll be back with you guys with a preview of um, that game next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for stopping by, and uh, keep safe during the lockdown, guys.
Cheers.